Hello, and welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm glad you're here with me today. I am the proactive caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering you, the caregiver. Because if you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. And part of taking care of yourself is the topic that we started last week, and that's communication, or improving on poor communication. Last week, I had guest Tammy Anastasia on with me, and we went through what poor communication does for our relationships and how we can actually work on improving them for both the family caregiver and the professional caregiver. Because what's happening is, as our parents age or life settles for married couples, eventually medication management at this point becomes a fact for the caregiver's life. By this point, we're monitoring blood pressure, blood sugar, a lot of time there's fluid retention involved, and each of those ailments have possibly one medication, sometimes more, or at least a supplement for maintenance. And so this routine that we begin to get accustomed to is something that we know without fail, the consequences of our loved ones not taking their medication. But yet over time, as our loved ones continue to decline in this world of dementia, we begin to see our loved ones refusing their medication. This is where communication is extremely important because this refusal is what causes the caregiver's stress level. Not that it's really gone down much at this point, but it causes it to go up really high. It has for me, I'm dealing with this right now with my own mother. So once this routine is interrupted, you might be seeing a level of aggression spiking or possibly a decline in their health. This kind of refusal puts the caregiver in this back and forth scenario of what I can and what I cannot control. So if you missed the episode last week, you can go to jessicalazalcannon.com and search for Caregiver Poor Communication with Tammy Anastasia, where we get started in this topic of improving poor communication. Today, we're going to continue this on, but just in case, if you are not able to see this, I have with me again today, Tammy, who is the author of Essential Strategies for the Dementia Caregiver, Learning How to Pace Yourself. Tammy is a dementia consultant, educator, and speaker. She has provided counseling services, dementia guidance, emotional support, and care strategies for the family and professional caregiver. So this is why I wanted to have have her back on with me today because like I said, I'm dealing with this right now in our caregiving journey. Thanks for coming back on with me today, Tammy. Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's great to see you again. Thank you. Yes. So let's get back into our topic of improving poor communication. This is the area that I really wanted to bring about because 
the family caregiver and the professional caregiver may be dealing with this in such a way that it's really creating issues and problems along their caregiving journey. Because as I mentioned, for me in my scenario, the anger and aggression is what kind of came about first and then the decline of health. So when we have our loved ones who are in this, these later stages, more particularly in dementia, and they begin to refuse their medication, how can we go about helping our loved ones to continue to take their medication? It's a great question and it's an issue that's very, very common as dementia progresses. So what I mentioned the last time we, we did this, all behavior is a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And if your loved one is in a place where they can communicate why they're refusing, we want to listen to what their reasoning is. Because when people have dementia, there's several reasons why they may refuse the medication. One is their brain is deteriorating, They're, it's malfunctioning. So they may forget what the medication's for. They may not like the color. They may not like the size. They may have difficulty swallowing. They may not like the taste. Um, and and when, when we talk about medication refusal and at what stage or at how far down the line, how far has the disease progressed that is it now you know, are, are they willing themselves, you know, their quality of life has declined and is it a part of their will, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm done. I'm, I've lived my life and, um, and we don't know. That's what's so difficult. How much of this is the disease itself? The brain cells are deteriorating and how much we still have that soul, you know, we still have that will in, that internal will. But either way, we have to listen to why they may be refusing it, because understanding why will also help us figure out what we may need to do differently. We're the ones who have to adjust. We're the ones who have to adapt. We're the ones who have to change our approach, our listen, watch our body language, watch our tone of voice. So it's super, super, super important to see why they may be refusing it. The other thing to keep in mind is, are we distracting them? Are we interrupting something that they're doing and they don't want to take the medication? Mm -hmm. Are, is there too much noise going on? Did we just wake them up and um, they don't want to take their medication? So it's super important to really hone in on, if possible, the why behind the refusal. And this is also where journaling that information, because I know in my experience with my mom, as she declined in the later stages, the why changed. Yes. And so understanding and try, and that's where a lot of that frustration comes in, of course, because, well, this worked a month ago or this worked this, whatever tips or trick that I was able to come up with. Will this work last week? Will this work yesterday even? So yes. that why is one of the problems and journaling, that's an excellent tool for caregivers. We have told so many of our caregivers to journal, journal, journal. I mean, it helps on so many different levels, but definitely in this kind of scenario. So what are the things that you would encourage caregivers on what they can learn by documenting their moments between the anger and aggression and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. 
So, you know, for some, for some caregivers, journaling seems overwhelming. And for other caregivers, journaling is a gift. And what I want to point out is there are two times where you want to either we call it document or journal, but there's two times you always, always, always want to document things when there's a change in medication. And you also want to document when they are refusing their medication, or you want to document when there's been mood changes or behavior changes. Because what we're looking for when we're documenting is, are there any patterns? Are there any triggers? Are there any behaviors that if we see causes, triggers, or patterns, then we know what to do differently. So when we document, there's a lot of value in understanding why did they refuse? What was going on at the time that they refused? And if we understand that, then we can preemptively try to do things differently. So document is one of my four Ds of dementia care. And again, the value in that is for as unpredictable as dementia is, there might be times there are patterns, there's triggers and there's causes. So we can figure that out, then we can be more strategic in how we manage our loved one's dementia. And that's really important because I had two different types of scenarios. I had mom not wanting to take the medications because of um, the quantity. She had so many of them. Yeah. And then I had some times where she was actually taking the medication and she wasn't, it wasn't effective. And so she didn't want to have to take more on top of what she was taking. And one of the things I figured out because of the journaling and because of the documenting was that it seemed to be roughly six months that her medication was no longer effective. And when I went back to my reports or my information, it just so happened that her weight changed at a certain time interval. And every time her weight changed, her antidepressants, for example, were no longer effective and they had to be adjusted. So you bring up an excellent point. There is the value of journaling and or documenting. You just hit the nail on the head because unfortunately with dementia too, right? Like you said, things change on a dime. Mm -hmm. What worked yesterday or an hour ago may not work three hours from now. You know what I'm saying? But what you just described is so invaluable because a lot of things happen in this journey and as this disease progresses. So especially again, if we make changes in their medication, it could affect them taking their medication. And if we understand why, like you got to hear your mom felt there was too many, right? Okay, that let's, let's decrease the quantity in which we're giving her. And at some point as this disease progresses, we do start looking at, okay, we're progressing, we're, her, her quality of life is changing, mm-hmm. and we do start questioning, do we need to give them all of these medications? What, are, what is the purpose of all these medications? But if your loved one says, I don't want to take them because they're feeling overwhelmed because there's so many, then absolutely there's a tip right there. Yes. I've got to decrease the quantity of how many I'm giving them. So I've had clients uh, say to my clients, their loved ones say, I don't want to take that. It's too big. 
or mm -hmm. I'm not going to take that. I don't want to take that red pill or that <laughs> green pill or that uh, uh, pink pill, right? Right. And this clues us in. And, and I remember being at a speaking event and this gentleman said to me, you know, my wife always wants my pillbox. She won't take the pills out of her pillbox because his was blue and oh, hers was funny. pink. Yeah. And um, and he said, but I refuse to give her the pills out of my pillbox. And I thought this is such an easy fix. Yeah. I said, then let's go buy her another pillbox mm -hmm. that's blue. And let's put her pills in the in the blue pillbox. So if they're still capable, we have to listen to why they're refusing. Another common refusal is they don't know what the medication's for and they mm -hmm. may think it's poison. And right. if they think it's poison, we have to know how to comfort them and how to deal with that if they're saying, you know, I think it's poison. So if we can listen to what they're telling us, mm -hmm. will help us gauge how to do it differently. But the documentation, just like you shared, is so invaluable because it provides information we wouldn't have otherwise. Right. And the other great thing about documentation is it is great to have this documentation when you go to the doctor. Yes. The doctor wants information. Yes. And if you can point out these patterns or you can point out these triggers or these causes, mm -hmm. this is so much information that's going to be beneficial to the doctor. You've got the proof. You've Absolutely. got the, the written documentation to share with him or her so that we can make adjustments accordingly. Yes, because some of the medications uh, for mom, I never really understood why she would say, I don't want to take all these. Why so many medications or some of them? Why is it so big? I don't want to swallow this big pill. But then she would take, for example, one time she had eight pills that she had to take. And even though she picked out the biggest one and it happened to be a supplement, she picked out the biggest ones. I don't want to take it. But yet she would turn around and take the whole entire little couplet of medication, all eight pills and all at once. And I yes. thought not only did you not want to take it, but there was some confusion there of you took them all at once now, regardless of the size. And so I was able to tell her cardiologist some of her medications that she was taking and why she was um, not wanting to take them. And he says, oh, well, we can split the dosage. That's right. And I didn't. I just thought she had to have this certain milligram at AM all the time. He was like, well, we can yeah. split the dosage and she can have a smaller pill AM and PM, which actually yeah. ended up being better for her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my point. There's so many ways we could work around it. Do we go to liquid form? Do we go to powder right. form? Do we, do we, do we split the pills in half? We get a right. pill cutter. Um, you know, if they are capsules, we've got to check on, you know, the time release on that. But point being here is that there's more than one way to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And we can learn different ways of how we might be able to deal with the medication refusal again, when we have a better understanding as to why they may not want to take the medication. So listening and, it, and again, depending on where they are and how this disease progresses, mm -hmm. sometimes they can communicate why and then other times they can no longer communicate right. why. So now we've got to look at other physical symptoms, right? Maybe we've got to look and, and if they're losing weight, that's a huge red flag mm. that something medically might be going on. If out of the blue, they're very, very, very confused. We might want to look into, a, you know, is it a UTI? 
right. or if they have a thyroid issue. So their behavior, whether it's nonverbal or verbal, is communicating something to us. Mm -hmm. What's so challenging as the caregiver, however, is trying to figure out what, what? it is. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yes. Um, but if you document, then we have concrete information that we can work with. Mm -hmm. And when you do document, you want to write down the day and you want to write down the time and you want to write down what happened. What did they say? What did they do? And you want to look at, were there any distractions? Mm -hmm. So again, with people with dementia, another thing you've got to be very cautious of is you cannot rush them. Right. And if you, if they feel you're rushing them and you're trying to get them to take their medication really quickly, um, it may cause some resistance and some refusal because you're trying mm -hmm. to rush me and they can't be rushed. No. So there's numerous, numerous reasons why. And if we can sort it out to the best of our ability, then we have a lot to work with in terms of being strategic and um, figuring out how to possibly encourage them to take their medication. But we got to change it up. We've got to change our approach. We've got to change how we're doing it, whether it's less medication, taking out the big pills or putting it into liquid form or putting it in powder form. So it's just a constant observation, observation. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the other thing I want to say. We're, we are very good at observing, but we don't use the observations to our advantage. Right. Now I want you to take it one step further. Use your observations to your advantage. You guys have instincts. You're spot on yes. many, many, many times. Use that information mm -hmm. to your benefit. Don't dismiss it, explore it, look into it and see what you can do with that information to make this more manageable for you as well as your loved one. I'm glad you said that because that's something that I had to actually do more recently. Um, it was one thing with mom and medications when she was living with me. I knew the tricks, I knew the time of day, and I knew not to bother her when she's in the middle of her family feud or uh, yes. something that she was watching TV-wise was she didn't want to be interrupted. That's it, right. To me, it seemed like, oh, come on, just pop them in and yeah. take a, a swallow and you're right back to, but it wasn't an, an interruption for her. It was a That's distraction right. that she was not willing to deal with. So I learned, maybe wait for the commercial at the very least. And so- when she transitioned into the community that she lives in, now I'm having to explain to others, this is yeah. how she does this. This is when she does this. This is what works best. Yeah. But unfortunately, when we talked last time a little bit, COVID changed this dynamic that the professional caregivers are in. And so there is a little bit more turnover. And so that after a while, I realized mom's refusal became where I thought it was more of this, her soul, she has, the will is gone. It yes. really turned out to be eventually who was giving her the medication. Now, isn't that interesting? And so I had to really do some of that detective work that we talked in last week. When did she take this? Who gave it to her? How, what kind of liquid did you give it to her? Because she may not want to take a medication with hot coffee versus yep. a glass of water or a cup of juice. Yeah. So there were all these differences. And then as I started to narrow down more and more and more, it came down to mom likes to take her medicine when they're provided by two individuals out of several. So that yep. was, 
helpful knowing, but trying to find out who else mom would bond with to be to feel comfortable and take medication from someone else. Because when these two individuals are on their day off. Yes. <laughs> so now see, that makes my heart sing because look at that. You were able to figure that out. Now we take it one step further. What is it about the two of them that mm -hmm. resonates with your mother? What is it about them? Is it the tone of voice? Mm -hmm. Is it, are they the same height? Are they similar? What's their disposition? Right. What's their approach with her? Because um, that there, what you just shared is where the value of, again, being able to observe and document yes. because that in itself is its weight in gold. Right. And we would have never figured that out if we didn't spend the time trying to observe and exactly. understand what's going on. So now we take it one step further and we'd say, what is it about those two that maybe we could get another person or two that could on some level kind of mirror what works, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what is it about those two, again, that resonates with your mother? How, and it's all about connecting. It's yes. all about that connection. Right. And one of the things, especially if they go into a care community that I think is really important is you got to collect a really good, thorough personal history yes. about the loved one. The families are gifts and you've got to listen to what the family is sharing to you about their person, Absolutely. because that information is critically important for the care communities. And the more you can share, the better. And, you know, often when I get a call, People will, you know, tell me about their loved one. And if I go out to see them, I often will say, what do they enjoy? What colors do they not like? What yes. colors do they like? Exactly. And I try to wear colors I know they like. Mm -hmm. And I also try to bring something or bring up something that I know they absolutely love to talk about. Right. So you bring up another good point, And that is, it's really important for care communities to get as much of a history on, on, and we'll use you as an example on your mother, right. but I would be interested to know what is it about these two caregivers <laughs> that resonate with your mother and, so, and how lovely that is. That is, um, it took me a while because I also had to use the history that I was able to get from mom and the conversations. And so it yes. turned out one of the individuals reminded her of a favorite aunt. And so I go. know that there's not a lot that other caregivers can do in that respect, but the other caregiver, it was the language that she chose to communicate with mom. I noticed that every time I was present and she brought medication over and she mom took it without any fuss because this caregiver approached her with a, hey, beautiful, you're looking gorgeous today. I got some medication for you. Let's get this down that hatch, beautiful. Yeah. And I picked up on her energy and yep. the, the phrases because she says, hey, beautiful. And even if mom's sitting there watching TV yep. and she's got bedhead <laughs> or frumpy yep. outfit and food on her her blouse from just having, you know, afternoon snack or what, what have you, she felt that, Hey, beautiful. And mom responded to that. Yeah. So now you bring up another great point. Compliments go a long yes. way with people yes. with dementia. Compliments go a long way, whether we have dementia or not. Right. right? But with people with dementia, um, compliments go a long, long, long way. 
And I will also give you some other tips that have worked very successfully. Also, people with dementia like rhymes. They like mm, things that rhyme. True. So I've had some clients when their loved one won't take the medication, we come up with a rhyme like um, one for you, one for me. Now mm. it's time for us to take our tea or drink our tea, right? Right. right. And, um, and that sense of belonging sometimes, that sense of connectedness may work. I've had some clients where they'll take their vitamins at the same time their loved one takes their pills so they don't feel all alone. Mm -hmm. But there again, look at the way we approach them. And, and I want to be careful that I don't put all this blame or on the caregiver. You're right. all doing the very, very, very best that Absolutely. you can, right? Yes. So this isn't about blame in any shape, way, or form. Mm -hmm. What it is about giving you ideas, giving right. you strategies, thinking outside of the box. How can I, how can I approach this in a way that doesn't send me to the moon and, and learning how to detach from it personally mm -hmm. and looking at it more observationally as to how can we change this? How can we make this work differently? So we might need to think outside the box, but mm -hmm. here again, two people your mom doesn't know, but they resonate with her. Right. And I love it about the aunt. So what was it about the aunt? What is it that your mother loves about the aunt? So we understand that personality right. or that, that language, then we might be able to teach other people how to do it. Exactly. And I even asked the caregivers, whatever you're doing, you notice and acknowledge that she did take her medicine, her morning meds with this liquid, um, with this phrase or tone of voice, whatever you're doing that works, please explain it to the rest of the staff um, so that I wasn't at the mercy of having to say, um, how did you do this? And then explain it to the afternoon staff and then explain it to the evening staff. And then, yeah. like I said, the next day, this staff may be off. And so yep. a new one comes in. And so then she's back to not taking medication because it's new faces, different yep. approaches, and they don't have the, the secrets. They didn't have the inside information that we needed for her to take her medication. And so it was a fluctuation. And so when I pointed out to the majority of them and then eventually to the head of all of them, pretty uh -huh. much saying, um, you see the level of aggression. I don't feel comfortable being around it. And I can't imagine that your caregivers feel comfortable around it. So we need to figure out a way to make sure she takes her medication because when it came down to it in the past, what worked or didn't work or the reasons she had before in the past, they were no longer the case now. I yes. always jumped, that used to be my knee jerk reaction of, oh, in the past she didn't want to take medication because she never, she never thought she would need any medication. She never wanted yes. to have to be dependent on any medication. Yes. So if she was feeling well, and as a person with uh, manic depressive bipolar disorder, yes. when she was on the good swings or the high swings, when she was oh, yeah. feeling fine, yeah, there was that cold turkey cut of medication of, I'm feeling great. I don't yeah. need this medication. I'm just not going to take it anymore. And yeah. so when she stopped taking one, not knowing all of them, she would just take all, stop taking all of them. Yeah. And so you, you don't realize it until a couple of days, maybe two days go by and there's this swing in moods. There's a decline in maybe their heavy breathing because that's another issue mom has with a congestive heart failure. And yeah. those are those signs that I would pick up and do that mental documentation or even documenting the yeah. time and realizing the change 
that was happening. And so yeah, those are those bits and pieces of information that the caregivers need. Yeah. And, and again, if they're in a care community, they're going to be logging stuff. So all they have to do is to log, put an extra section in that log and um, write down why, why she refused, why she got angry, why she right. got aggressive. Right. Right. And, and this is another really, really important point to keep in mind. We also have to give them the perception Right. that they are still in control to some degree. Yes. We still have to deliver the information. We still have to interact with them in a way that we give them the perception that they are still in control because all of us want to feel we have some control over our choices. Right. So if they start feeling choices are being imposed on them, right. they may just resist and react. It's a defense mechanism. Of course. And so we want to keep that in mind as well, but there's ways we can still give them the perception that they are still in control and help them make the choice rather than us be demanding and insisting. And that's where we get in trouble. Right. We know medication is important for them. We know the importance, but we're not dealing with somebody now who has that understanding anymore. Right. So how do we work with them and modify our behavior in a way that, again, to the best of our ability to try to accommodate and adapt to those changes. Right. And again, it's not always going to work, but we can also learn from why it doesn't work. Like mm -hmm. you said, you know, mom would watch TV and then you try to interrupt her, her game show, Family Feud or Jeopardy or whatever it right. is. Oh no, she's not having it, right? No. So you know what? <laughs> Let me go ahead and wait until afterwards. Yes. And the other thing when it comes to medication refusal too, we may need to combine it with something else pleasurable. Right. Music is amazing what it does with the brain. Hmm. And we may want to combine it with eating ice cream. Or we may want to combine it with, well, as soon as we take our medication, and sometimes we don't call it medication, mm -hmm. sometimes we call it candy, sometimes we yes. call it vitamins, right? right, right. Um, and, and here again, combine it with something and give them something to look forward to. Like mm -hmm. after we do this, they get control again. We either go for a walk or we go have ice cream or we're going to go to, uh, to a burger, go get a burger. Right. But he, what I'm suggesting is, is think outside the box, mm -hmm. but that thinking outside of the box is going to be often very dependent on the information we're either witnessing or we're hearing right. what we're seeing and what we're being told. So it's important for us to see that if they're getting angry or aggressive, that's a defense mechanism that's kicking in to protect them. Mm -hmm. And what's it protecting them from? So I'm glad you put it that way because I had yet another scenario that with mom's refusal of medication, wanting to feel like she's in control and refusing just for the sake of saying no, because she knows she can and That's not right. really understanding the consequence yet again That's of right. not taking the medications. So one of her medications, for example, um, is for an acid reflux. Um, and so she's got a lot of nausea and sometimes from movement, her congestive heart failure causes some nausea. And so this is where the next step, I guess, in my observing and trying to resolve is knowing when to, when to introduce therapeutic lies and oh, yeah. what works and 
what I feel comfortable with. And so what has happened is when she refuses her medication, but she's feeling just, she may not be angry and aggressive, but she's just feeling nauseous and just, I don't feel good. So then telling her, well, here are some medications that will help that nausea. And it's really yeah. the same things that she was just refusing. And yeah. sometimes she'll take the cups and the little medicine cups and look in them and count them. And sometimes yeah. it's, okay, just take the supplements out or take the few that we can out right now just so it looks like it's a little bit less. She may not remember the color that the others, just to get her to take them. And then within um, an hour or two, maybe around dinner time, give her the rest of them. And mm -hmm. it was something that made me feel uncomfortable at first because I'm lying to mom. But then after a while, I realized even in the community that they had to do this scene just to make sure she took her medication because they do yeah. understand the consequence of her not taking her medication. Yeah. So it's too bad. The term is uh, therapeutic lies right. um, because we hear the word lie, right? Right. And I actually re-termed it in my book. I call it um, therapeutic acts of kindness. Right. And because lies implies that we have somebody who has a male functioning brain now, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not operating and it's, and, and what happens with dementia is the cells are not communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. So they can't process, they can't think rationally as this disease progresses. And you know that there's medication that is imperative that she takes because of the medical condition she has. Right. So sometimes we have to maybe embellish things right. a little bit. And, um, and there's some people who believe you never, 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 never tell a lie. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes where I think that therapeutic acts of kindness, if we are not creating emotional distress, if we're, if we're doing things that are with the intent of doing what's best for them, mm -hmm. then I don't like to think of it as a therapeutic lie. Right. I like to think of it as I'm having to make adjustments to make this work for my mother so that she can continue getting the medication for her congestive heart failure. You know, maybe we could dismiss the vitamins if necessary. And there may are, they may, there may be medication we don't have to give her. So I, I'm cautious on the therapeutic lie because of the connotation it, it, it gives, right. but at the same time, I'm always, always, always asking what was the intent behind the decision? Right. What was the intent behind the choice? And it's the intent, I believe 100%, the intent from all caregivers is to do what's in the best interest of their loved one. Mm -hmm. And because they don't understand it, it forces us, dementia forces us to have to do things differently to get what is necessary for their heart condition, for their medical condition. So I'm going to look at it that you had to adapt. Mm -hmm. You had to change the approach. You had to change the strategy so that we could ensure that she got her heart medication, she got her acid reflux medication, mm -hmm. because that was going to make her more comfortable. So it's unfair to call it a lie right. as much as it was an, adapt and an adaptation to doing what you felt would make her more comfortable.
I've also and heard it referred to as compassionate deceptions. Yeah, and there How again, did you say that. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 in the dementia literature, it's called um, compassionate fibbing. But again, it's the connotation what fibbing and lying. We hear that we were raised. You never, ever, ever tell of a course. fib. And if you're Catholic, even worse, like I am. <laughs> uh, God forbid. Right. Um, but but what that does is is the intent is so loving the intent is so compassionate the mm-hmm. intent is because you care so much and then we we're equating that with a lie yeah it's not a lie we're adapting we're changing our behavior because my mother doesn't have the mental capacity now to do what she knows is very important for her health and for her medical, her acid reflux, her heart disease, and whatever else there might be. Mm-hmm. So I prefer to look at it as adapting right. to accommodate a need that she can no longer provide for herself that we have to provide for them. Of course. And so as we adapt and we take these levels with them and we adjust emotionally along with yeah. it, that is yet another area of this communication that becomes an issue because yes. when all said and done and we've done everything we can to the best of our abilities for their well-being, yes. we still have those emotional attachments that yes. keep us from feeling like we didn't do a job well done. Yes. Uh, I've had to myself learn how to talk myself out of that kind of conversation in my mind because I yes. know I was doing things for the best intention, yes. but then having, I also had to learn how to detach from the scenario when it didn't work the way I had intended. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that and how caregivers can um, help change? I guess it's a, a mindset, mindset change of detaching when things yes. don't go as they plan. Yeah, and that's the that's uh, t- the second D out of the four of my dementia, you know, the four Ds of dementia care is detaching. So uh, I have what is called a dementia mantra. And what all caregivers have to realize is every decision you have to make on your loved one's behalf is because dementia is forcing you to do that. Right. And when we can keep the focus on dementia, Mm -hmm. it will help you to detach from feeling so responsible. And then when they don't cooperate, so you have a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a history of your loved one prior to dementia. And then now our loved one gets dementia. So you kind of also need to know what your triggers are, your own triggers, because their refusal might trigger, they're not cooperating. I put up with this when I was a kid, they're controlling, they're manipulating, they're in denial, right? Exactly. And when there's a diagnosis of dementia, everything your loved one does and everything you experience is because of dementia. And make it about the disease and and then compliment yourself that I am not the problem the disease is the problem and the disease is forcing me to make these choices. The disease is forcing me to adapt Mm -hmm. so that it, it allows you to separate personally and detach 
and look at this from a disease perspective rather than taking it personal mm -hmm. because every caregiver in my book I'm going to say is amazing you guys and what you provide the love the care the support that you guys provide day in and day out yep you're going to lose your patience yes. yep you're going to get angry yes. yep you're going to feel resentful at times and you're going to feel frustrated and you're going to be impatient but you know what mm -hmm. That just makes you human. Right. You are amazing people and you deserve to give back to yourselves and you deserve to compliment and be supportive of yourself. So when you can look at this from a disease perspective right. will allow you to detach and not take it so personally. But again, you also need to know what your triggers are right. because if you felt manipulated or lied to, or deceitful, or controlling by this loved one, those triggers are going to go off left and right, Definitely. because we're equating that experience pre-dementia, but now everything that your loved one says and does is a direct cause of what dementia is doing to their brain. Yes. And it causes behavior changes. It causes changes in their cognition, their thinking, their, re their reasoning, problem solving they can't do. Mm -hmm. And the worst part about this is often your loved one cannot tell you thank you. Often mm -hmm. your loved one doesn't know to thank you. And so you here again have to find ways to be supportive, loving, caring and compassionate with right. yourselves. So I want to ask you, Jessica, what made you make that shift and how did you go about making that shift? So for me, the spiritual side of it is what helped me. Knowing that everything I have done for her has come from a place of deep love and concern, compassion yep. for her. And so if she did not take her medication for whatever reason it was, or multiple reasons for several yep. days, and if by any chance her not taking her heart medication, for example, caused yep. concern or caused worse, yes. that if she didn't take her medication and she actually, her life actually ended, yes, that it was not something that I was going to hold myself responsible That's for. That's right. That I That's have right. tried everything I could possibly yes. do. And yes. in the end, it's all in God's hands. Yes. And so what happens, happens. Now, yes. that didn't stop me from continuing to try. It didn't stop me from being frustrated. Sure. It certainly didn't stop me from um, trying to turn the emotional... Uh, guilt on her. You're upsetting me. You're hurting my feelings. You're going to make my stomach hurt because I know that you need this. I tried everything. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, I had to actually accept regardless of what I tried, I tried. Yes. I did everything I possibly could. And then I have to just let go and say, yes. he's got this. And then I finally started to feel a little bit more level of uh, comfort with up. it and just um I guess that mindset actually switched that okay I've done what I can I can only do so much I can only control so much and then after that I'm not the one that's controlling this 
And that is that, and there it goes right there, right? This disease, and I, I, no pun intended, but I often say this disease has a mind of its own. And (laughs) you can be the most loving, you could be there 24 7, 24 7, and you could go to the restroom and something could happen. Exactly. I mean, and, and it's learning to let go of what you don't have control over, but more importantly, learning to not blame yourself for a disease that is doing the damage, not you. Right. And if it gets to a point, it's going to happen. It's going to get to a point where she's not going to take any medication at all. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem, right? At what point do you now say, I don't know if it's necessary to continue giving her the medication if she's having problems swallowing Mm -hmm. and she um, refuses medication and she's not eating. At what point, this is what is really, really hard for the caregiver. Do you say, I let nature take its course or do I continue doing these interventions? And I I have caregivers ask three questions, right? What is the intent behind the choices or the decisions you make? And what are we prolonging? What, what, what kind of quality of life are we prolonging? Exactly. But the most important question you have to ask yourself is what can you live with? Because when this is all said and done, you are in a position where you have to make every decision for your loved one. Exactly. At what point do you make that decision and say, you know what? we're done fighting and we're going to let nature take its course and still know that you've taken wonderful, beautiful care. And sometimes that is the most loving and most Mm -hmm. difficult decision you'll have to make. And I, I wish nature would take its course so you wouldn't have to get to that position. But unfortunately, the way this disease progresses, those decisions often fall on the shoulder of the caregiver. And you still need to know to the very, very, very end, no matter what decision you make, it's all out of love for Mm -hmm. your loved one. And it breaks my heart that dementia puts caregivers in this position. And that's a lot about why I do my work, because you guys deserve to know what a beautiful, loving, caring job you are doing. And because things don't go the way we want them to go, doesn't mean we are wrong, we are bad. It just means that dementia is progressing in a manner that we can no longer manage. And that is the end of that where it is what it's intended to be. Yeah. It's, yeah. Going you have back not and forth failed. with that. No. Right. And that's the hard part is seeing that as it's not a personal failure. It's not a failure at all. It's that's just right. understanding the stages of dementia and understanding where we're headed and knowing yes. what I could possibly expect. So when I start to see that, yes. it's something that I can say, oh, okay, that's the disease. That's the deterioration of her brain declining and progressing faster towards the end that's nothing that i did to cause that's it. right and that's so that absolutely. distinction made a huge difference so that i can begin that process yet again because as caregivers we're on this this roller coaster of grieving you are because 
I'm letting go and then no, I'm fighting for her and I'm letting go yes. and I'm fighting for her. I yes. can figure this out. I can find one more trick. I can yes. I can get that medication in, in a glass of water somehow. I can and you know, there's there are different ways to approach this in the community. I've learned that there is approaches with food, desserts, uh, things that I didn't even realize before that how medication is crushed and added to icing. And that's when they get their cake at yeah. lunch or dinner as the treat and they eat their cake. And what do they do as kids? They lick off the icing and not eat the cake. Well, their yeah. medication was in the icing. That's right. And so those little things give me a little peace of mind. But when it comes down to it, there's going to be that time that medication is not going to make any it's difference. Not it's not going to reverse anything. It's not going yes. to stop anything from happening. That's right. And me being present is what's important. Or like you said, I could get up and go to the restroom and she could have a heart attack and just That's right. be gone. Yeah. It's just those scenarios that are, I, I used to run them through my head. So, okay, if this happened, I'm going to react this way. If this happened, I'm going to And then I realized this is, that's madness. Yes. I just have to acknowledge that what happens happens when it happens. And that's exactly right, right? And and that's the thing, you know, caregivers live in a constant state of anxiety, anticipation, yes. anxiety, right? Right. Uh, waiting for that phone call, waiting for that shoe to yes. drop. And yes. you've done, and, and again, you've got to go back to believing enough in yourself to look at every decision. I truly believe every single caregiver is doing the best that they can on any given day. We don't have control over how this disease in the end is going to progress. Right. All we have is your constant love, your constant care, your constant compassion, your constant support. And when that time comes, know in your heart of hearts, you've done everything. Some days are better than others. Some days you, you might get, again, more impatient or more angry. Doesn't make you a bad person. Right. What it does is this disease is the thing that's in control and you're doing the very, very, very best you can to manage it. Mm -hmm. And at some point, when do you say, I have now done everything possible and now is it time for me to say, no longer are we going to force more medication. It might mm -hmm. take a natural progression on its own where she can't take the medication Right. At some point when she no longer can eat, now we still provide comfort by hospice mm -hmm. and we can still communicate our love and our compassion by being, not necessarily by doing all the time. Exactly. That is, that's what it comes down to. And yeah. that's why I love the information that you've provided in the book. And this is where I want to guide the caregivers so that if they have something, a scenario that they're dealing with it, that they can go back, family caregiver and professional caregiver can go yes. back and look into your book, The Essential Strategies for the Dementia Caregiver, Learning to Pace Yourself. There yes. is a reason for all of this. So, yep. Yeah, the PACE acronym is, you know, to conserve your energy and how, how to manage this journey from no matter where you are on this journey, to still make it as meaningful, as compassionate, loving, as I've said, yes. as much as possible, given that this disease, again, is deteriorating brain cells. 
and we're having to adapt as this disease affects your loved one in every single functionality. Right. That's the thing about dementia. It affects every functionality. And unfortunately, all of the major decisions fall on the shoulders of the caregiver. So I want you to be more compassionate with yourself, less angry, less frustrated, because you're not the problem. No. And your loved one's really not the problem. We have this disease that we have to figure out how to manage to the best of our ability. And I do believe that every intention, every choice is made with the best of intentions. We can't put it on the outcome because we don't know the outcome. So we always have to go back. What were my intentions? And 99, 100% of the time, I truly believe the intentions are always good. Absolutely. Tammy, thank you so much for sharing this information. I think caregivers need that to hear that, know that as their validation for what they're doing. So I appreciate you taking the time. Poor communication is a very large topic. And I know as caregivers approach their journey and as they deal with these areas in this dementia world, then they have more resources that they can depend on to help them learn and improve on their communication. Yes. And and before I end, I do want to thank every single caregiver and including you for the love, the care and the support you provide. Um, It's just so invaluable. And from the bottom of my heart, as well as your loved one, I am going to thank you and every single caregiver who is trying to navigate this disease and every caregiver who has been through this journey. Thank you for everything and all that you do continually. I appreciate it greatly. Definitely. So thank you for joining in and listening with us today. I hope this episode definitely gave you a lot more food for thought. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, be proactive. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalizelcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media, LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise.